0: Thanks, my name's Tim, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I presume you can hear me all right. Um, Think of me as a door-to-door concepts salesman. If you want to shut the door at any point, I won't be offended. Um, So let's remind ourselves of the context of Concept 6. The point is that there are things groups can't do on their own, Um, There are things which groups can't do even when they band together to form intergroups or regions or areas or districts. And for that, we have the conference structure. So the conference structure is there to handle anything uh, to do with the fellowship as a whole. Um, Specifically, it's world services. And then below conference we've got the service structure which implements what conference decides so let's read concept six uh world the world service long form concept six on behalf of aa as a whole our general service conference has the principal responsibility for the maintenance of our world services and it traditionally has the final decision respecting large matters of general policy and finance. But the conference also recognises that the chief initiative and the active responsibility in most of these matters should be exercised primarily by the trustee members of the conference when they act among themselves as the General Service Board of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's even more of a mouthful than the earlier concepts, which is why we're here. Um, so, purpose of conference. Um, conference really just has one job. Um, it makes final decisions on what on large matters. Okay, so final decisions on large matters. What do those large matters concern? They concern general policy and finance. So. There are are several ideas contained in that alone. First of all, for decision-making about the fellowship as a whole, it's conference. Um, That's where the buck stops in terms of decision-making. That's what final decision means. On large matters, anything trivial or intermediate has to be resolved anywhere. Uh, It only covers large matters. We'll cover why later. There is a reason why and then general policy and finance. I mean, that reiterates the same idea. And we'll come to what policy and finance mean in a minute. Now, once they've made the decisions, they say, oi, board, here are the decisions, you implement them. And the board has two jobs, chief initiative and active responsibility. And we'll come to both of what those mean later. Now, There are various bodies in Alcoholics Anonymous. There's this ethereal, uh, uh, universal, generalised consciousness residing in the fellowship as a whole. Sometimes at your home group you may wonder whether there's any consciousness there at all, but we're assured by the concepts there indeed is. You can't see it, but it's there. Um, but that's not what we're talking about. Once that, ma- that, mate- that consciousness materialises fully in conference, and then that's your first real-world body for world services, is conference. The second one is the board, general service board, and the third layer is all of the committees and employees and corporations and blah blah blah. So, three levels. Conference, board and then the executive. And that matches the three key words of activity in AA service are decide, plan and execute. So, it is conference which decides, it is the board which plans, which takes those decisions and turns them into plans. And then it's the executive which executes. Now, how, the, how matters get split out between those three starts to become clear when you realise how often they meet. So conference in Great Britain meets only once a year. This is infrequently. So that's why it's only got time for large matters of general policy and finance. Uh, uh, It's got time to make about 15 decisions. That's it. The board meets very regularly, Um, you know, once every couple of months with all sorts of other meetings in between. People are dashing up to York the whole time to have little committee meetings or board meetings or this meeting or that meeting. So that's why it's got time, It's the, that's the right level, the board is the level for planning and administration of these large matters of general policy and finance. And then you've got the subcommittees and the corporations, and they're either continually active, so the subcommittees chiefly comprise um, AA volunteers who are doing this in their free time, so they work continually in the same way that you have When you have a sponsee, you are continually active with your sponsee. Hopefully you're not continuously active. The service corporations, the telephone offices, all of those things are continuously active. Continually versus continuously. Continually means the whole time but with breaks in between. Continuously means without interruption. So the executive is basically on the job most of the time, or on call. If they're not on the job, they're on call. So those are the three levels. Decide, plan and execute. So let's go back to conference, which is at the decision-making level. Uh, As I say, it only meets for three days. There's a little bit of committee work in between, but really very, very little. That's really to plan for those three days. So. It, it's only got time to process, so I said, around 15, somewhere between 12 and 18 questions, plus a few rubber stampings, listening to some board reports, asking awkward questions, uh, sitting there unable to fathom the response to the awkward questions, and then conference is over. You know, boom, see you next year. Um, if they had to deal with planning and execution... Uh, the amount of information they'd have to process in that time would be, be prohibitively great. So only really very important things should go to conference. There is a problem in, in Great Britain with relatively minor things going to conference, like you want to get a poster published. You can't just leave it to a subcommittee and for the board to look, oh no, it has to go through conference. In might view, it's completely ridiculous. It should, Conference should not be there to rubber stamp uh, individual posters, or flyers for things. It's, a, it's, a, it's not the appropriate level, but there we go. There's, there's a conference question about that at the moment. Outstanding. Secondly, your conference delegates, um, where do they live? Oh, they live back in their regions. They're not there supervising or observing any of the work which is carried out by the board or its committees or its corporations. Uh, That's why its remit is at the general level of major decisions of policy and finances, because all the practical stuff, all the detailed stuff, they just don't, they're just not familiar with it. They don't have the details. They're not being constantly briefed by the lawyers and the accountants and the these and the the publishers and the printers, all of these other people that are involved in the actual practical implementation. Uh, Also, the decision-making process at conference is cumbersome. Um, you have you have the committees discussing things. They come up with recommendations. The recommendations then go back to the regions. The regions respond uh, at, at conference, the region groups. The region groups respond back to the committees. The committees redraft. It goes to the general plenary session, and then there's a vote. So it goes back and forth and back and forth. Everyone's got to agree everything the whole time. This is why each committee only handles three questions. They vote finally on all the questions but you know basically you're looking at one decision a day <laughs> if you get 16 people in a room you get one decision a day that's your cap um, also because they only meet once a year there is no ability for conference to respond on the hoof there's no ability for conference to respond to issues as they arise during the course of the year so that's why all of that has to be at a lower level. It has to be at board level or at subcommittee level or at corporation level. Also, uh, conference gets to use the administrative staff of the General Service Office, but they have no staff of them their own. They have no employees. They have no volunteers. They've got no hands in the world. Uh, they've got no executive structure with which to implement more practical sides of things. So that's why the decisions and recommendations by conference uh, must err on the side of uh, general general policy and finance. They can't, it can't get involved in the detail because it doesn't have enough information to get involved in the detail. Now um, another important point as well, people are often surprised by this uh, when they arrive at conference, uh, to discover that the board, who are often seen as the enemy, I'm just reporting that that is how they're seen, I'm not endorsing that view, I'm just reporting it. Um, it's nice to have an enemy, isn't it? You can blame them for it, whatever it is. It's a basic human psychological need to bl- for someone else to be made more guilty than we are, and in AA it's the unfortunately the board. Is the screen onto which an awful lot of ills are projected? Anyway, I digress. Um, the, the The board members are part of conference. They haven't muscled their way into it. This is part of the design. They're not being naughty by sitting there in the, in the committee meetings. No, that the 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 board are an integral part of conference. And we talked about this in Concept Four. The reason why it's necessary is because they have the detailed knowledge about what goes on on the ground. They're the ones who are present for all the board meetings. They they oversee the corporations. They oversee the committees. They're advised by the professionals. So they have a, a hugely valuable input. And also, if they're going to do a good job, you need to include them in the decision-making process. So go back and look at Concept Four for why they're there. Um, so what is the board responsible for? Um, it's responsible for two things, chief initiative and active responsibility. And the way I've described chief initiative, this isn't really in the service literature, It's just derives from my experience, which is informed by lots of smart people who've Show me how to live in AA. Um, Chief chief initiative, you survey the situation, you take what, where are we? What's going on? You identify strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats. You devise plans and you proceed to implement them promptly. And then active responsibility. So, uh, and this is a good little format for service generally, if you've got a service assignment, if there is action, take it. When? Now. Don't wait until two days before it's due. Do it now. Um, If the ball is in someone else's court, follow it up on a regular basis until it's done. You monitor the process, you adjust the process in real time, you assess the results as they come in, and then you report back to the delegating authority. And so at the the decision-making level, the conference has final responsibility, but in terms of the implementation of those decisions, the buck stops with the board. So there is buck at two levels, at the decision-making level and at the practical level, and the buck stops with the board at the practical level, and that ensures that stuff gets done, ideally. And this structure of general decision making on major questions of policy and finance versus implementation. This mirrors the structure um, at group level. Now lots of groups don't follow this structure, so if your group doesn't follow this structure then don't be uh, alarmed or put out, it just might be something to consider. The pamphlet, the AA group, makes a distinction between group consciences and business meetings. And these are very, very different entities. The group conscience meeting, rather like conference, is held infrequently. Everyone participates, and these are for the purposes of decisions on large matters of general policy and finance. You have them a couple of times a year um we discussed i think in the traditions talks the the uh uh, emotionally turbulent and disruptive nature of um group consciences because you get to question the foundation of the group the purpose of the group why it's there what it does people see it as their home and then someone comes in with an idea and wants to change the whole setup of the group it's very disconcerting for people. So don't have a group conscience every eight minutes. Um, unless you particularly want to alienate everyone, if you have borderline personality, you may well do. I mean, you know, it's, it's understandable. But anyway, again, I digress. So group conscience meetings, you hold them infrequently, and they're reserved for decisions on large matters of general policy and finance. And then by contrast, you have business meetings. This is akin to the board. Uh, Business meetings are held frequently. Only executive officers participate. And these are for the purposes of planning and administration. Um, Groups get bogged down if everyone is involved in the business meetings. The business meetings should really just be for the core officers Uh, plus anyone else who's involved in a decision on that particular day. Um, I'm going to talk about this. Um, One notion, which I think is a very healthy one, is for everyone in a group to be given the opportunity to do some kind of practical service. Thing is, if the group is large, you can have 50 people doing service. You know, there are four people greeting, or six people greeting. You know, there's a rotor of five or six people doing washing up, blah, blah, blah. And the danger is that the business meetings become uh, impossibly uh, arduous because all it takes is for one or two people out of the 50 to want to have their halfpenny's worth on every imaginable topic and you're there for 45 minutes not 12 and someone throws a you know a spanner in the works and you you know you can't you can't carry on until bobby has calmed down so everyone spends 10 minutes trying to reassure bobby that everything is all right whatever it is so even if everyone's got a service assignment Uh, It's a good idea. You have to have at the business meeting the secretary, the chair, the GSR, the treasurer. That's, you know, the gang of four, uh, which is basically in charge of running the group. Um, And what you might have is a venue chair that is in charge of, uh, you know, the setting up, the setting down, the... uh, um, you might have a refreshments chair in charge of, of of the refreshments and the washing up. So if there are thirty or forty people doing odd jobs, you have maybe one person that's in charge of ten, another person that's in charge of ten, so that the business meeting remains six or seven or eight people, you know, not forty. Um, That's something that's a mistake we made in my home group for a long time. We couldn't work out what was going wrong, but that was what was going wrong. So that's a model to handle. This is uh, you you get everyone involved. Everyone gets to be there at the group conscience meetings, but you um, put an extra little layer of service in. To ensure that uh, everyone's represented at the business meeting, but not everyone has to attend the business meeting. Everyone will thank you if they don't have to attend, but you mustn't be excluding anyone's voice from the business meeting. But let's say you've got ten people setting up or setting down, and in charge of unlocking, clearing the you know the 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 sweeping the leaves outside, sweeping up the sick. All of you might have ten, fifteen people on venue duties. If you have a venue chair, if they've got a problem, they take it to the venue chair. The venue chair is their voice at the business meeting. So here you have everyone involved. You have um, everyone with a voice, but you have efficient meetings at the same time. That's one way of doing it. And I've I've seen that. I've seen that work. Uh, Group procedural question. If a member joins the group the week after a group conscience, do they have to wait five months till the next one to get a service position? My experience in London, I mean, it may be different in, well, I'm not going to name names. It may be different in different places. But in London, uh, people are moving around the whole time. They're getting jobs the, the whole time. Most people in the groups around here are very young. Like the average age in groups is maybe 28. Um, people are moving flat the whole time, uh, their business travel, there's a huge amount of stuff going on, so there's a lot of instability. I mean, people also tend to go to 18 different fellowships and are constantly juggling them and changing sponsors and changing sex and changing name and, you know, like, everything is constantly changing. It gets, we can't have male and female greeters, we have, um, there's a whole, like, there are in-betweens for those, for the greeter positions, because, you know, we've got to cater for everyone, it's very complicated, so what we, what, I know what they do in, you know, probably what they do in North Dakota is, like, once a year, you know, all of the rotations happen, and boom, you're done, everyone's now good until next February, That's not going to work in London, there are too many reasons why things change in between, so, um, we have people, you know, um, Rot- rotating in and out. It's like a sort of grand central station of service, as opposed to a, a you know stately changing of the guard. Um. So there we go. Uh. So concept six. Uh, in. Uh. Life. And I. I think. I think the concepts are, are very very. Helpful in your first year, of AA, maybe first couple of years, the um. Uh, you know the steps are enough and some a few basic ideas on uh, step three are enough to get you through the first couple of years um which is why we say in such a bad tempered way to new people oh just hand it over you know um oh just let go but uh there's anything more complicated than that then the circuits are going to blow so you keep it very simple with new people but after a while you start thinking about things. I do have responsibility here. I'm not just a little corn husk blowing round AA. I've got actual responsibilities. I've got responsibilities in life. Um. Uh, and so a bit more of a, a spiritual understanding, for in my case, has become necessary. I'd say, uh, With the psychological or spiritual problems that I have, those are really the same thing in my case. Uh, When my psyche is out of whack, it's because I'm spiritually out of whack. There's some funny wiring as well, which makes things worse, but it's not the source of the problem, it aggravates the problem. Um... So I'm always going to be slightly jumpy, I suspect. I'm always going, you know, those Alanon scanners, you scan the horizon for danger. You hear a twig crack, you know, you're going to get chomped on by something. Um, I'm probably always going to be like that. But basically, when I've got a, an emotional problem, it's because I've got a psychological problem. If I've got a psychological problem, I've got a spiritual problem. Good, there we go. Um, so concept six. Um. Um, uh, there are there are different levels uh, in my life. Uh, on one level, um, Anthony de Mello talks about this about being dissolved into the universal consciousness. Um, and now, if that sounds a bit abstract, if you've ever been at a meeting and someone says something amusing, and you find it amusing, and everyone's laughing away, and you feel completely part of the group. Um, You know, whatever you were worried about before the meeting, whatever you're having to go home to after the meeting, right now, you're absolutely fine. You're dissolved into the group. Happens at fellowship sometimes as well. Uh, You know, you see newcomers who haven't got any any right to be happy given what their lives look like, yet they are perfectly happy in the meeting or at fellowship afterwards. You don't want to see them on the bus on the way home, but whilst they're at fellowship or at the meeting, they're fine. So that this is the spiritual level where you're dissolved into that universal consciousness, where there's no me anymore, it's gone. Um, and that's where the power resides, that's the sort of vortex which draws down uh, power from higher and uh, wisdom from higher realms. Um, but that sort of general camaraderie it uh, talks about it as well on page seventeen. It talks about it on page one hundred and fifty-two of the big book. Uh, this this general spirit of all being together. Now it's all very well, but it's got to uh, it's got to crystallize into decision making in my life somehow. So below the level of spirit, there's the level of mind. And at the level of the fellowship, mind is represented by conference. At personal level, mind is represented by, well, my literal, actual mind. So that's where this universal consciousness finds its way into my life, is through my own mind. So where does where do decisions get made? They get made in my mind, and the question is, am I accessing my little tin pot uh, ego, or am I accessing the higher consciousness? You know, am I consulting the runes, or am I in touch with the power of the entire universe? Um, I probably mentioned this before, if you have like a week to spare, then it won't hurt to read the Oversoul, Oversoul, by uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Um, it's wonderful and impossible at the same time, but it, that's a, it's a huge long essay about um, the universal consciousness and tapping into it. It's brilliant, and uh, I can read it now. I couldn't read it three years ago. Uh, but some people love it. It's partly to do with the way my mind works. I I I've never been able to read Faulkner, but you you find 13-year-olds who read Faulkner and love Faulkner. So so it is p- partly the way maybe your mind is wired to read Emerson, maybe it's not. You read reviews of Emerson on Amazon, everyone is either five-star or one star. Uh, so but he talks about that universal consciousness and accessing it through your own mind, and it's very much, I think, what it talks about on um, page, I think it's page 55, about deep down within each person is the fundamental idea of God, so it's like a sort of socket within yourself, which you can plug into, which accesses something outside, like, you know, the electricity grid, or the internet, that the access point is within, doesn't mean that the whole, Internet is within you, and it doesn't mean that the whole electricity grid is within you, and it doesn't mean the whole of God is within you, but the access point is within. Um, so that mental level, um, I, I think there are there are two there are, there are different parts of mind. There's the part of mind which accesses the higher consciousness, and that's where that's like my conference, the conference bit of my brain, where. I'm dealing with large matters of general policy and finance, and there uh, I need to be in a spiritually fit condition. I need to be calm. I need to be connected to God. I need to be connected to the universe to make major decisions, large decisions of general policy and finance in my life. But it's like there's another bit of my brain, which is like the board. It's the operational bit of the brain. It's the executive bit of the brain. Um. Anyone who knows me knows that, if you'll pardon my French, I can get shit done. If you want some shit done, I can get it done. And I can do that if I'm in a terrible state or I'm in a great state. In fact, if I'm in a terrible, terrible state, I may even do it better. When I'm in a great state, I don't give a shit. Um, so, but that's not dependent on spiritual connection, it's dependent on having rigorous routines and and parameters and principles and just ways of doing things which work, and having willingness and gumption and get to itness and all of those qualities. And as I say, I can be depressed and be perfectly effective, I can be upset and perfectly effective. Um, but if I'm depressed or upset, you don't want me to make a major, a large decision of policy and finance. And so, you know that there are different states a person can be in. And to to recap, the three step, the three levels of, of being are, um, uh, being part of this universal. Um, spirit, the fellowship, like when I'm at a meeting or or with other alcoholics. Then the level of mind, where I'm connecting with the higher power on large decisions. And then there's the practical bit bit of my brain, which is like the board and its corporations and its um, subcommittees. So policy and finance. So my major decisions, my large decisions of policy and finance Um, I think policy can be likened to what God wants me to do in the world, and finance can be likened to how God wants me to use the resources I have been given. And those resources could be financial, or they could be material, or they could be my time or my energy. Um, And those three levels... um, There are lots of parallels um, throughout the steps and the traditions and the concepts, but concept one is the concept for spirit and universal consciousness and dissolving into the greater whole. Concepts two and six are about mind, individual consciousness, accessing this higher consciousness and making decisions, and then concept six and onwards, so all of the other concepts afterwards are about the body, the physical brain which processes things, and the implementation of those decisions at the material level. Um, now, there's this is something that I find immensely useful in terms of... um. My own mental health. Um, The board is responsible for the actions that it takes. Uh, In my life, I'm responsible for the actions that I take. I'm not responsible for the outcomes. The outcomes get reported back to the higher level. So all I have to do in my life is take a sequence of actions. And it never ceases to amaze me how i've you know I've been on the planet for coming up to fifty years, and uh everything so far has worked out pretty well or looks as though it's gonna work out one way or another, and yet I can wake up with the four or five current issues in my life with a feeling of dread in relation to each of them um If I feel I'm responsible for outcomes, I'm dead in the water. If I feel that my well-being, my life, my happiness, my purpose, my fulfillment depend on outcomes, I'm dead in the water. So the board is not acting on its own account. The board is acting on the account of the whole fellowship. It's just the executive function. My material life is just the executive function for this universal spirit. So the board um, serves the univ the whole, the whole fellowship via the conference. I serve my practical material life all i'm doing is serving the universal consciousness and behind that universal consciousness is god so i i don't i don't like this phrase but it's a useful one i don't have any skin in the game i don't have any investment i mustn't have any investment on a bad day i do i mustn't have any investment in outcomes my my job is simply as it says in concept 3 to act uh, to ask for help if necessary to consult And I consult the higher authority. I consult experts. I consult anyone who is going to be affected. And then I report back and then the circuit is closed and I'm done. Uh, This means, uh, you know, final responsibility and ultimate authority reside two stages higher. So, not even at the level of conference. Conference is responsible for decisions, not for outcomes. The outcomes reside with this universal consciousness, with the universe as a whole. Final responsibility and ultimate authority are at a much higher level. They're above my pay grade. If I'm worried about outcomes, what is an outcome? It's something final. It's something ultimate. So this is above my pay grade. When I'm worrying, I'm trying to work at two levels above my pay grade. If ever you've had to step up, as they call it. Uh, to someone else's role in the office, and you realise how horrific the job is of the person who is two levels above you, how you could know, there's no way you could do it. It's the same thing. When I'm worrying, I'm literally trying to bear the responsibility of the ultimate consciousness of the entire universe. Well, no wonder, you know, a person ends up cowed. Also, um, I was brought up to believe that worry is responsibility. That if you're not worried it means you're irresponsible and reckless because you obviously don't care and even if you can't do anything about it it's your job to worry about it just to demonstrate to everyone else how responsible you are um but the truth is there is no cause for tension or worry uh because the universe has totally got this um god will do for me what i cannot do for myself but god won't do for me what i can do for myself my job is to simply take the actions that's what i can do everything else is out of my hands um and so i'm what i'm about to say is going to recap on um something i said earlier about how the board operates um I don't have the most complicated life, I know people who have more complicated lives than I do, but uh, I do have a lot on, I've got a lot of different hats that I wear, um, and a lot of different responsibilities, I'm not going to list them, it's boring, it bores me, and it would bore you, but there are a lot of responsibilities, and um, you add the breadth of responsibility to my natural propensity to fret and fuss, and you have a recipe for disaster. And so what, what, what follows is a system for discharging those responsibilities without going completely fucking nuts, okay? So, if you want to not go completely nuts, maybe this will help. If you're fine being nuts, because it distracts you from, you know, internal conflicts, which are more frightening than, you know, carry on as you were. Um, So, periodically, what I will do is I will list out all of the roles in my life, and say, well, what projects are live in each of those areas and with each of those projects and you cast forward a few weeks or a few months what's coming up what's going to need to get done and you divide those projects into sub-projects and so you've got a, a full list of everything which might need to be done and then with each one there's a little action plan um, what actions have to be taken in what order um, whose ball is the court in If the ball is in my court, get on with it. If it's in someone else's court, let them know. And once a week, I go through all of my items which are in someone else's court and follow up what needs to be followed up. Um, Everything gets written down. And this, this falls under the heading of chief initiative and active responsibility. I've got to take chief initiative in my life. I don't want to be reactive to... Uh, situations that arise. I don't want to get caught out. Um, This links in also to um leadership in Concept 9, which is all about um, engaging vision. So you take the character defect of worry and fretting, and you turn it into vision, and it starts to become useful. But in my experience, it has to be deployed very gingerly and only at times deliberately set aside to cast the mind forward and to run through all the permutations of what could happen. But to cut a long story short, what this means is I've got ai a, mean, I keep it electronically. Other people keep it in writing. But there is no area in my life which is not regularly surveyed. This is the chief initiative side of things, which is not regularly surveyed for strengths, opportunities, weaknesses and threats. Uh, to devise all the things which might need to be done. So that, do I need to worry about, do I need to worry about anything? No, because everything has been caught by the system. And that gets converted on a regular basis into things to do. The whole catalogue of things to do. Every day I look at the catalogue, I pull down into the day, what are the tasks of the day? This is active responsibility. Uh, For a certain number of hours a day, I discharge responsibilities, and then I stop, and I'm off-duty, and then I go and do what I want to do. Um, What I've observed a lot with sponsees, and I was like this as well, um, is going through life... um, only oiling the squeakiest wheel. And so if something is terribly urgent, it's going to get dealt with. Um, if something is terribly important psychologically, it's going to get dealt with. But everything else is going to pot. And I. Um, someone did a step forward with me a few years ago, and it caused me to change the whole way I do step four myself. They did. A, she did a very good job resentment inventory, she got her 20 or 30 resentments, and she talked about those um, uh, situations, those relationships, why she was upset, and then you get to page 67, and you've got those questions, what were my mistakes, where was I frightened, where was I selfish, blah blah blah. We got to the end of that, and I said to her, so is that it on the resentment? She said yes, Uh, but I felt it didn't feel complete. Worse than that, it didn't feel as though it had captured what was important, and I said, well, just take those eight questions, um, uh, mistakes, fear, self-seeking, selfish, dishonest, um, where was I to blame, what were my faults, what were my wrongs, how about you apply them to the areas of money, employment, study, physical health, Diet, exercise, planning for the future. Each of those areas was a complete catastrophe, but would have got missed if the resentment inventory had been um, limited, if those questions on page 67 had been limited to the resentment inventory. So I always ask those page 67 questions across the breadth of my life. Um, When I was about, I think, 17, 18 years sober, someone suggested make a list of all of the things in your life, ask your higher power to show you, all of those things in your life which have been left undone. Those things which scratch at the back of your mind, like whenever anyone mentions pensions, and you switch to another channel because you don't want to think about that. When anyone mention, mentions uh, 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 dental work, again, you change the subject because you haven't been to a dentist in six years, because you, you can't be bothered to find a dentist which fits in with your payment plan. Um, what I discovered was that I had about 80 things in my life which were undone, which some were very small, just individual items, physical items which needed to be returned, odd little things which needed to be sorted out, many of which would only take half an hour, but some were major things. Um, it took a few months, but I gradually worked my way through the list, and my whole anxiety level dropped hugely. Because these undone things were were constantly active at the back of my mind, which is why I don't like being surprised by stuff. you're gonna get surprised by stuff enough as it is anyway, without having your own secrets come out and surprise you. so this is what this is how I implement concept six in my life, chief act chief initiative and active responsibility. Rather than waiting for trouble to come and find me, I make sure I'm very, very well prepared, that anything which I can foresee is dealt with. Anything which does need to be sorted out, I, so- I, I take the initiative and then project manage the fuck out of it until it's done. And I've discovered if I'm maxing out on discharging my responsibilities, I can let go really easily, and if I'm not, I can't, because of that wonderful principle, God will do for me what I can't do for myself, but God won't do for me what I can do for myself. So, um, that's pretty much all I've got on concept six. Um, Gabrielle, are there any other questions in the ether? Yeah. Oh, what? So, what the list is? Let me see if I can find it just a second. Sorry, people on the tape. You can knit for a couple of minutes while I look something up for the people in the meeting. Um, Resentment inventory, page 67 questions, other areas. Right, so if I've got access to the chat function, which I seem to have, yeah, so... Uh, that's the instruction I give people. So uh, the the formatting is horrible, but um, uh, you get the idea. Actually, I can send you a link which will be better. So that that's a that's a good starting point. But it depends what your life is structured like. But money, retirement planning, looking after the home, education, work, diet, exercise, sleep, hobbies, service, and religion as being major questions which I left I, in terms of how well I was discharging my obligation to exercise uh, uh, chief initiative and active responsibility. In my first 10 years of AA, I'm just going to look, you know, look down the list. I was mostly concerned with working hard and earning money, but my money position was horrible. I was working incredibly hard, but spending more than I earned, so money was a disaster. Retirement planning, disaster. Looking after the home, I let someone else do it. Education, I did well. Work, I did well. Diet, I ate anything. Exercise, I didn't exercise in my twenties. Sleep, all over the place. I Every night I had one hour sleep less than I actually needed. Hobbies, uh, nothing stable. Service, um. I was pretty good on service for the first few, first five or six years. Uh, religion, bit haphazard, but that was okay. So, like with three out, three out of those ten, I did okay in my first ten years. The others a complete catastrophe, and I was in huge amounts of anxiety the whole time and didn't know why. I mean, you go to a psychiatrist, they'll they'll, they'll find reasons why. They'll ask you about your mother. <laughs> I've never had an um. I've never had a psychiatrist or a psychologist ask me, so have you got your retirement plan sorted out? Have you been to the dentist? Have you got any funny skin marks that you need to go to the doctors about? You deal with just those three things and whew, the anxiety levels come down. So um, the the real reason why I was in such a state um, maybe was not the actual, not the apparent reason for a long time. Um, Gabrielle, any other questions you've got? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> okay. I found it. What about perilous seats of power, as when board members or trustees do not rotate um, regularly? Right. Um, well, you've got you've rotation has got two uh, two senses. Um, there's rotation within the service offices. Where people get to do each other's jobs periodically, it's just like on the crew of a ship that they do cross training uh, to make sure that, you know, basically if someone blows up, um, someone can step in and, you know, look after the radar station or or whatever else it is. And it's a bit like that at the general service office, that uh, people are trained to do each other's jobs in case something goes wrong. So there's that form of rotation. Um, And on the board, there is a certain degree of rotation within the board so that people will look after a particular discipline, but shadow another discipline as well in case, the you know, for when that board member leaves. But then I think people can only be on the board for five years. In Great Britain, you get three years as an ordinary trustee and then you can go on as as something else, and then you can go on to be the chair. So there's, there's five years, maybe six max. I don't think it's any more than that. So the structure prevents the development of vested interests. When there have been difficulties in the past, basically you just wait, and eventually the trustee goes, and then, you know, <laughs> everyone breathes again. Um, but it doesn't happen very often. In mean, my experience, they do re- they do an amazing job, and um, you want to look at what they do, not what people say about what they do. Look at what they actually do. Um, the best example of non of the problem associated with non-rotation was I uh, uh, okay, I'll change the the day of the group and the time and everything, but so. Uh, Let's say it was a Monday lunchtime group, and Alfred, Alfred, did the tea. Um, And Alfred was a, a, a lovely, lovely old gentleman, very refined, very particular. I don't know if you've ever had anyone very particular do the tea. But he used to do these little arrangements of biscuits, which were piled artistically in little stacks, so that you could could take yourself a little stack, and the stack itself, each stack constituted a selection of well-matched biscuits. You know, the way a sommelier may match, you know, a, a, a particular wine to a particular dish. Well, he matched the biscuits. And he did it for a year. And it was his pride and joy. It was, uh, people would love to come to the meeting just to see Alfred's spread, as it were. <laughs> and um, so after a year came to an end, um no one else came forward for various reasons. So he said, well, he said in a very relaxed, casual way but you could tell there was a steely determination behind it. Well, I could just carry on and do this for another year. Ten years later, Alfred is still doing the tea. The spreads have become ever more exquisite and woe betide anyone if they don't respond to the spread with the due degree of deference. So if someone showed any... Any dissatisfaction with the biscuits, then there was hell to pay. Now, the group tried to uh, <laughs> tried to uh, enact the principle of rotation. So he duly rotated out, and they announced the vacancy. Then there was an election, and you know Bobby would come and do the tea, uh, but Alfred would hover over Bobby and give minute and uh, helpful instructions on how to do the tea. And within two weeks, Bobby not only was no longer the tea person, but was never seen again at the meeting. And this happened again and again until no one wanted to take on the tea. And so Alfred, with a great sigh, would take on the tea commitment yet again. Uh, The last time I went back to this group was six or seven years ago, and Alfred... now 109, is still doing the T. Now, dysfunctional. Dysfunction, if it was D-I-S, it would mean it doesn't work. Dysfunctional D-Y-S means it works, but it hurts. It works, but there are problems associated with it working. And and, um, the danger, if someone's been in service for too long, is not only with regard to the role, um, there's an imbalance of power that's created, and this is the, this perilous seat of power. People will automatic, automatically defer, rightly or wrongly, to the person that's been there the longest, whether or not, I mean, they, they will often have, they're often a useful repository of historical information about the group, um, but that's where it becomes perilous, because I think we've talked about this before, that when you have an argument, if they were there five years ago or 10 years ago and they say, well, this has been dealt with before, there's no one that can contradict them because there was no one else that was there 10 years ago. So they're automatically deferred to um, on all matters. So um, and also having been. uh, I was a member of London Region North probably for about three or four years to too long and the relief when i finally left <laughs> not just on my part i think other people are relieved as well um yeah so i'm all in favor of rotation and structuring the relation structuring the board and its service corporations and its committees, such that rotation is ensured, so that no vested interests are created. Or if there is a vested interest, so the General Secretary often, it's not really a job for life, but it's a job until retirement not only beckons, but, you know, stamps his little foot, Um, that even if someone is vested in that position, um, there is genuine oversight by the board, and the board doesn't kowtow to the general secretary just because the general secretary has been there for longer than anyone on the board has. Um, so there has to be a real relationship of supervision of the board over the service directors. They can't be just rubber stamping what the service directors do. Any other questions, Gabrielle? Good. Um, well, that's all I've got for. We've got the thrilling Concept 7 next week, so um, I'm sure you're as excited about that as I am. So, well, thank you for listening today.